The Space God Memoirs. Episode 3 So there I lay upon the dusty ground, my breath slowly returning to me as the sweat dribbled down the sides of my head, my eyelids squinting as I stared up at the orange-tinted clouds and the sun behind them. My hands were a little scratched up, my left side was sore from that final roll, but otherwise I was just fine. A tiny smile came to my lips. Nothing like a little life-death situation to make you feel alive. The shadow fell over me. I looked up to see the compact figure of a young woman staring down. Short and curvy, she stood above me with her hands on her hips, her head of curly black hair bobbing a bit in the hot wind, her face wearing an expression suited to dealing with a disobedient animal. I extended my smile into a big, ridiculous grin and made a tiny wave to her with one hand. Oh, hi there, Rayleigh, I said. I was just enjoying a bit of a break here. Nice view in this ditch, really. Rayleigh shook her head and adjusted one of the many hooks on her belt, which held a plethora of tools, from simple screwdrivers and hammers to multi-headed contraptions that I neither could nor cared to name. Come on, Kev, she said, turning her head from me in my ditch to the equally prostrate form of the defunct Hulk. It doesn't look like that thing actually killed you, so get up and help me move it onto the cart. Rayleigh got to one knee in front of it and took out one of the aforementioned tools. I did finally get to my feet with a rather showy jump, dusted myself off, stretched my limbs, and moved opposite to where she was. Nice job with the rope, by the way, I noted. Oh, that was Burge's idea, she responded, pointing to the figure with his back turned to us, hunched over the nearby cart. His mechanic's mind is always thinking of new ways to do things. Yo, Kef, grunted the figure, finally turning around with a sledgehammer in his hands. He stood ahead above me with big blue eyes and matching blue hair that would have hung down his face and shoulders had it not been propped up by that ridiculous headband he wore. Burge was clad in a standard dusty overalls and cut-off shirt that intentionally showed off his biceps and oversized chest. The tall boy from the Volda Enclave had gotten even bigger since I first saw him moving boxes for the bugs. You gonna help us move this guy? I asked. Nope, answered Burge, flipping the hammer from one hand to the other. Figured we should just smash it up first. Make it easier to lift. We can handle it, noted Rayleigh, tapping the hollow shell of the Hulk with a tool. From all I've seen, these old robots are a lot lighter than they look. Tell that to the stone statue that thing just smashed through back there, I said. It's all about the different metal distribution, said Rayleigh. The larger body is made from a lighter alloy, more flexible and resilient. It's only the ends, the fist, feet, and parts of the head that are made of the denser uranium metal, thus the thing's seeming strength and yet clumsiness. Right, I snorted, giving the thing a kick in the side. I leave the technical bits to you dorks and the glamorous exploration of ancient ruins to heroes like myself. Come on, responded Rayleigh. We all know you're no idiot. I've told you before, and so has Ben, that you could easily train as a technician if you wanted to. Yup, added Burge with a nod. If I wanted to, I stated. 
Which is the key word. It's all a matter of perspective to me, you see. I like doing what I do, at least as much as I like anything in this world. And at this moment, really, you all need me far more as a finder than as a builder. Still, Cuff, if the plan works out, we may not need to be scrounging through these old ruins for much longer. There's a reason both of us came with you for this job. Speaking of the plan, I said, digging through my backpack, I found some. I held out one of the eyes, its forest green core gleaming in the yellow sunlight. Another's in the pack still. Ravy's face lit up. Wow, fully intact. Six millimeter diameter. Ven was right about Soldra. I'll have to inspect the details on that Hulk's body. But I'm sure it has to be a Montaki model with eyes like that. She reached out to touch the gem that still rested in my palm, softly running two fingers across its perfectly even smooth faces. This is it, she stated in a hushed tone. If it all works, it'll change our lives. Change the world. A wide smile came to my lips. Maybe soon I'll be flying old Disa, I said. If you're right about the quality of those gems. Rayleigh's always right, said Burge from over my shoulder. And we'll have plenty of time to check it during our journey. Even if it's not exactly what the project needs, those eyes and the scrap body will keep us going for a good while. Yeah, I responded. But first we gotta get it all up there to Ganadria. Yup, noted Burge with a matching nod from Rayleigh. So let's break this guy up and toss him in the cart. That was something none of us could argue with. Though he was a heavy one, our tools made quick work of Mr. Metal Hulk, and within the span of minutes he was lying in four pieces in our cart. And with that, we were finally on our way. Hours later, I sat crouched at the reins of our cart, listening as the spare parts clinked and clunked with each bump it rode over. Pulling the cart was my beast of burden, a Rusha named Gildar, who plodded ever forward, its pea-green lumpy bulk occasionally shifting, but its pace remaining steady as it lumbered across the cracked and potholed ruins of the old high road. The muscle-bound Burge sat to my right, while Rayleigh was in the back of the cart, poking at the remains of the Hulk as we slowly rode. The high road, for those of you who never spent any time on post-retribution Aruvis, was a raised causeway made from stone cement. It stood about three feet above the surrounding lands. Generally straight, it occasionally curved and turned. In its center, an unbroken metallic rail continued on and on as far as the road went. The high road, as the locals called it, had been part of the old world. I could picture the ancients walking up and down it, or leading their beasts like I was. But in truth, I didn't think they had done either. An image came to my mind's eye, the high road, pristine and shining and new, the see-through shield covering it like a tube, and long cars that would carry hundreds of passengers as they zoomed across a thousand leagues in minutes across lush lands covered in farms or preserves, into cities where silver towers rose to the skies and magnificent machines served man's every need. I was shaken out of my imaginings by a grunt from Gildar, who snorted, rocking the cart as it swallowed a large insect. Since the Rushak could eat just about anything, it only paused a moment before resuming its slow and steady course. My reverie broken, I looked out on lands dry and withered, covered in countless crisscrossed cracks. Rock formations could be seen jutting from the ground, their tops blackened in ancient ash. To my left rose the same brown mountains that I had seen behind the ruins, and at their feet a collection of scattered spiky bushes and long-leafed trees. 
The main portion of the ruins quickly fell from view, and ahead the arid plains spread before me in swathes of yellow and mauve grasses, interspersed with the occasional rubbery tree with its flappy green leaves. And of course, more ruins. Maybe the outskirts of Suldra. Now it was just an occasional stone enclosure, or a lonely house, all encrusted with three centuries of mosses, vines, and mold. I wondered how much was buried under the surface, and how many thousands of skeletons lay beneath that grass. Scrag it gets dry out here, stated Rayleigh from in back, rubbing at her crackling lips. Eh, there's worse, I responded. This is nothing compared to the northern deserts. Sadly, you never got to go with me and Burge up there. Not sadly at all, said Rayleigh. I got no desire to get eaten by monsters in the old capital, or get half of my skin burned off in the heat. Besides, Kef, you grayskins tend to handle that sort of weather a bit better than some of us. Hey, I noted with a wink. Let's not get all racist here. Racist? Burge added. You two came from the same town. You're probably the same race, maybe even relatives. Nah, said Rayleigh with a chuckle. Kef's definitely an alien. We may have grown up together, but he's from somewhere else. That I could not deny. Or at least I didn't. I just smiled and laughed with them both as the cart continued to move along the high road. Gildar, at least, seemed not to notice the dryness as it walked and walked, pausing occasionally to chew at tufts of the mauve-colored grass before turning back to the road and moving on. I was merely content to absorb my surroundings and trying to keep myself alert as I nonetheless fell into a kind of road daze, taking in the sights and listening to the quiet rhythms of nature. The sounds of the wind whistling through the grasses, or the high-pitched whizzing of the sphere-shaped Gulvren, whose blue bodies occasionally passed overhead as they hovered between grassy patches. Sometimes I would reach into my pack and finger the two crystalline eyes, just to make sure they were there. I suppose it was just nervous habit, but it couldn't hurt to keep track of my investment. Gnadria City, the site of Ven's latest lab, was still two weeks off. And damned if I was returning empty-handed after our prized possessions had rolled out onto the road. Rayleigh was probably right about the gems. She had a disgusting habit of always being right. No tool on modern Arubis could cut a gem so evenly as the two we had here. The project, which even a year ago had seemed like such a distant dream, was finally taking shape. The gemstone was the last step. Burge had bargained with the Mining League to get the last of the Palladium Ore for the hull. We'd all worked countless hours in the lab, weaving together the copper wiring, welding shut the fractures in the shift engine. Months before, Rayleigh had even put together a lift orb, just to test if the Levitec would actually work. The barrel of liquid mercury had been the toughest part, but a month ago we had managed to successfully scrounge one up from the less radiated parts of the Hildel reactor. But now we had it all. The enthusiastic kid in me wanted to believe that soon I'd be flying, Disa, as I still affectionately called her, had since been moved to Ven's Ganadrian lab and was pretty much fixed. And now we had what we needed for the shift engine. It'd be the first working starship in 300 years. I didn't care about much on Aruvis. Aruvis was a shithole, full of scragged up people, lousy governments, idiot cults, and general savage stupidity. But this was something even a lazy, cynical yug like me could give a scrag about. It would change everything, or so I told myself. But I tried to push most of those hopeful thoughts out of my mind. Out here in the wastes, being hopeful wasn't always the best bet. By the day's end, we had set up a campsite between a natural stone arch that overlooked a valley of scraggly brush. 
Rayleigh and Burge were fast asleep, cuddled together in their bedrolls. I lay in my own bedroll, my head upon the bean-filled pillow. It was a clear night above. I looked up at the stars and took a deep breath. Three counts in. I held it for a moment and breathed out for three counts. Then I closed my eyes, continuing with the breathing pattern and focusing on the darkness under my closed eyelids. Three counts in. Three counts out. Back in Ganadria, I'd sat with Ven for hours, practicing the breath, ever since he decided I was going to be his pilot. Your thoughts are scattered, Ven had told me during the training. You allow your emotions to run about like wild hulls are. And so he had taught me this breathing technique, something his people had used for eons to calm themselves, focus their thoughts, and discard unwanted emotions. And it worked. Sometimes. When my body didn't get suddenly itchy, and when I didn't start thinking about random things like childhood memories and catchy songs. So, yeah, I let my mind go with the breath, picturing my stray thoughts dissolving into the black beneath my eyelids. Focusing just on the breathing, until I didn't really have any thoughts at all anymore. No itches this time, my body too tired from the road to bother me. I sunk into a deep trance-like state which itself rapidly merged into sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoyed the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.